This is a podcast from the Business Times. Starting the week, Singapore shares slid in early trade on Monday, February 20th, following losses in the US and European markets. The Straits Times index fell 0.1% and closed in the red down 0.6% to 3,308.75 points. On Tuesday, Singapore shares remained muted despite gains in the European market. The SDI opened down 0.04% to 3,307.59 points. At the midweek, Singapore shares declined along with major regional markets after Wall Street saw its largest single-day fall in 2023 overnight. The SDI fell 0.2% to close at 3,300.04 points. Although gold prices inched up and is seen as a hedge against inflation, rising interest rates continue to raise questions about the non-yielding assets appeal. And on Thursday, Singapore shares began on a softer note after markets in US and Europe fell overnight. The SDI headed down 0.1% at the open and shared 1.1% to close at 3,264.93 points. It's Friday, February 24th. Welcome to Market Focus, a weekly look at market drivers and movements from the Business Times. I'm podcast editor Clarissa Montero. Singapore stocks rose at early trade today following gains in US and Europe markets. The SCI rose 0.1% to 3,267.99 points at the open. Here's Jeff Howie, market strategist at SCX Securities, wrapping the trading week. Thank you. So the first four sessions of the week saw the SGI generate steady declines from 33.28 last Friday down to 32.65 on Thursday. And this was in line with global equity markets, which have been impacted by the potential for more persistent global inflation than we first expected going into 2023. The FOMC minutes released this week, it did reveal participants had observed less evidence of a slowdown in the rate of increase of prices for core services, excluding housing. Now, that's a category that accounts for more than half of the core PCE price index and has been touted by the Fed Chair Jerome Powell as being a key sub-aggregate. Participants judged that if the US labour market did remain very tight, wage growth in excess of 2% inflation and trend productivity growth would likely continue to put upward pressure on some prices in the sub-aggregate. The hawkish tone was very much in line with the market repricing that we've seen in recent weeks. Over the past month, we've seen the majority of expectations for the Fed funds rate shift from a 25 basis point hike expected across the next three FOMCs to 75 basis points of hikes, bringing the potential peak rate to five and a quarter to five and a half percent. But coming back to Singapore and looking back in the Singapore market, our performance for the first four sessions of the week on a total return basis were Keppel Corporation, Young Zijung Shipbuilding, Jardine Cycle and Carriage, Maple Tree Industrial Trust, and City Developments, while UOB, OCBC, Jardine Matheson, Venture Corp, and DFI Retail Group led the declines of the SDI. Bloomberg takes corporate actions into price performance and taking into account that distribution of 19.1 shares of Semcorp Marine for each Keppel Corp share has Keppel Corporation generating a 14% gain for the first four sessions of the week. And in terms of net fund flows, institutional fund flows in Singapore across the five sessions through to the 22nd of February, we observed close to 40 million of net fund inflows led by inflows to financial services, consumer cyclicals, utilities, and the energy sectors, while industrials saw the highest net outflows, followed by telecommunications, real estate excluding REITs, 
and consumer non-cyclicals. Yong Jin Yen, journalist from the Business Times News Desk, shares his take of the week's drivers. Asian markets saw a volatile week as geopolitical uncertainty and strong economic data from the US had investors reassessing their assumptions. Tensions between the US and Russia continued to escalate this week as the Russia-Ukraine conflict continues to rage one year on. On Monday, days before the conflict's one-year anniversary, US President Joe Biden unexpectedly visited Kyiv for the first time since Russia's invasion began, reiterating US support for Ukraine. A day later, Russian President Vladimir Putin said that Russia would halt its participation in New START, the last major remaining nuclear arms control treaty with the US. On Wednesday, a Russian senior defense official said the country will stick to agreed limits on nuclear missiles and keep the US informed about changes in their deployments. Meanwhile, US economic data continued to show resilience, reigniting fears of higher for longer interest rates being imposed by the Fed in its bid to cool inflation. On Tuesday, S&P's flash US Composite PMI Output Index increased to 50.2 in February from a final reading of 46.8 in January. This was unexpectedly high, with a Reuters poll forecasting the index at 47.5 for February. The 2-year and 10-year Treasury yields rose after the figures were released and some analysts have readjusted their interest rate expectations. Deutsche Bank's US team, for instance, raised its expected Fed terminal rate by 50 basis points to 5.625%. Across Asia, major markets were in the red for the first five days ended February 23rd. Japan's Nikkei 225 was down 1.5%, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index was down 3%, and South Korea's Kospi was down 1.5%. In local markets, investor sentiment was similarly weak. The Straits Times Index fell 1.5% over the five-day period, and the three worst performers were Jardine Madison Holdings, DFI Retail Group, and Hong Kong Land, which fell by 44 4 and 3.6% respectively. The merger between Semcorp Marine and Keppel also drew the attention of short sellers on Monday, ahead of Keppel shares trading X-distribution on Thursday. Analysts believe that active investors in Keppel could sell Sam Marine shares that they received as part of the merger deal. Sam Marine shares fell 4.5% to 12.8 Singapore cents, while Keppel shares rose 13% to 540 on an X-distribution basis. Keppel shareholders will receive 19.1 shares per Keppel share on March 1st. Still to come, we look at notable news for the week with Jeff. Break down useful financial tips with money hacks from the Business Times with correspondent Howie Lim. Every first and third Monday of the month, go to bt.sg podcasts to download. And now, back to market focus from the Business Times. Jeff, inflation data was released this week. Could you expand on that and other notable news to take us into the week ahead? Certainly. So, Singapore's January CPI report showed that the MAS core inflation came in at 5.5% on a year-on-year basis for the month of January, and that was up from 5.1% year-on-year in December. And it was driven by higher inflation for services, food, and retail and other goods, along with the increase, obviously, in the GST rate. And on a month-to-month basis, core CPI rose 8 tenths of a percent, 
due in part to the one-off effect of that 1% point GST increase, as well as seasonal effects that are always associated with Chinese New Year. And the January CPI all items also picked up to uh, 6.6% year-on-year growth in January, up from 6.5% in December. So what this means is with the MAS pulling out that one lever back in October, UOB senior economist Alvin Liu noted that inflation risks do remain on the upside, and that was back in January after that DEC CPI report. And then yesterday, he maintained that there is still room for further tightening in 2023, especially if core inflation does not show signs of moderation. And this sees the UOB global economics and market research team expecting the MAS to tighten policy further in April via another recentering of the Singapore nominal effective exchange rate policy midpoint. In other news, about 5,000 full-time drivers and 32,000 full-time administrators will see pay rises under the occupational progressive wages that take effect on the 1st of March. They are among 56,000 full-time lower-wage workers defined as those with salaries in the bottom fifth of the resident workforce. So the occupational progressive wages, which is for Singaporean citizens and permanent residents, covers a total of 195,000 full-time and part-time administrators and drivers. And uh, as Jun Wan was talking about too, in terms of the merger, on the back of Semcorp Marine's acquisition of Keppel Corp's subsidiary, the Offshore Marine Group, Semcorp Marine is scheduled for addition to the MSCI Singapore Index on the market close of the 1st of March and hence become effective on the 2nd of March. MSCI maintained the distribution of 19.1 shares of Semcorp Marine, which did go its distribution this week, for each Keppel Corporation share will decrease the full market cap of Keppel Corp by more than 33% and increase the full market cap of Semcorp Marine by more than 50% with a size review performed by MSCI as per the MSCI Global Investable Market Indices methodology. So based on the estimated post-event company full and float adjusted market caps, Keppel Corp satisfies the size criteria to be maintained in the Global Standard Indices and Semcorp Marine satisfies the size criteria to be migrated to the mid-cap segment of the MSCI Global Standard Indices, thus elevating Semcorp Marine to the MSCI Singapore Index, which is, of course, designed to measure the performance of all the large and mid-cap segments of our Singapore stock market, which does include Singapore stocks listed globally. All right, Jeff. This week, investors were a little bit spooked by inflationary pressures globally. What corporate news do you have for us going into next week worth noting? Okay, so we are amid a very heavy earnings season and there was certainly a lot happening on the earnings front in Singapore this week. OCBC reported just this morning its full year 22 net profit rose 18% to a new high of $5.8 billion. That was driven by strong growth in net interest income and lower allowances. Its net interest income was up 31% in the 2022 year to $7.7 billion. That's up from $5.9 billion in 2021, while non-interest income was down 16% to $4 billion. Customer loan growth for the year was 4.5% in constant currency terms, and the NPL ratio is still 1.2% for the fourth quarter. And the CEO, Ms. Helen Wong, did note that OCBC was constantly redefining its business through accelerating digitalization, and it continues to enhance digital platforms and introduce market-first initiatives 
to enrich the customer experience. She also noted that almost all customer transactions in Singapore are now conducted digitally and the bank has seen strong growth in digital wealth sales. UOB also reported a record high core net profit of $4.8 billion, up 18% for the financial year ending 31st of December, including a one-off expenses relating to the acquisition of Citigroup's Malaysia and Thailand consumer businesses. Its net profit was also a record high at $4.6 billion. UOB's full-year net interest income was up 31%, just like OCBC, to $8.3 billion from $6.4 billion in 2021. The non-interest income, however, it was down as well, down 7% in 2022 to $3.2 billion. UOB's full-year gross loan growth was up 3% and customer deposits were up 5%. On the acquisition front, UOB's acquisition of Citigroup's consumer business in Malaysia and Thailand was completed in November last year and the completion for Indonesia and Vietnam is slated for this year. The strategic acquisition has also fortified the group's ASEAN strategy and has significantly scaled up the retail franchise with increased product offerings and cross-sell opportunities. The Singapore operating income comprised between 57 and 58% of UOB's total income last year. Wilmar International also reported a record $2.4 billion US dollar net profit for its full year with all three key segments reporting higher profits, excluding non-operating items and changes in fair value of their biological assets. Core net profit for the full year improved 31% to $2.4 billion, while overall revenue increased 12% to $73 billion US dollars. Wilmar's chairman and CEO, Mr. Kwok, highlighted that the full year was an exceptional year and the team managed operations well, despite the volatility in the commodities market and the general economic slowdown during the past year. He also added that the group benefited from increased palm oil and sugar prices, good palm processing margins, and higher shipping profit due to increased freight rates. On the 22nd of Feb as well, HPRY Holdings, in which Mr. Quark has a deemed interest, did acquire 35,000 shares of Wilma at an average price of $3.98 per share. And the consideration of the acquisition is around $140,000. And Mr. Quark does maintain a 13.12% total interest in Wilma International. CDL also posted record profit of 1.3 billion Sing for the full year, the highest profit since inception. The group noted its stellar performance was boosted by a bountiful year of divestment gains, including that record sale of Millennium Hilton's soul and the uh, gain on the deconsolidation of CDL Hospitality Trust units back in the first half of 2022, as well as the completion of the collective sales of Tanglin Shopping Centre and the Golden Mile Complex in the second half of last year where the group owned share values in strata areas. So just to reiterate that CDL did unveil its Growth Enhancement and Transformation acronym GET strategy back in January 2018 with Sherman Quek's confirmed appointment as CEO. Capital Land Investment also posted operating PATME, that is profit from business operations, excluding any gains or losses from divestments, revaluations and impairments. Pat me of 609 million Sing dollars for its full year, 
That was 23% higher than the close to 500 million reported a year before that. This was mainly attributable to the better performance in its fee income related business and recovery in its lodging business as Capital Land Investment strengthens its pivot to global real estate investment management with a focus on driving fee income. And separately, it has also committed 1.1 billion Singh in equity for a new program to invest in special situation opportunities in China. So Gunting Singapore's net profit for its second half more than doubled thanks to increased gaming and non-gaming revenue from the growth of Singapore's international tourist arrivals. And the net profit for the six months ending December did rise to $256 million from $95 million in the same period a year ago. The positive result was attributed to travel recovery gaining momentum, of course, in the second half, and revenue for the group more than doubled to $1.1 billion in the second half, up from around $510, $512 million in the second half of 2021. Semcorp Industries also posted a 54% increase for its second half net profit, ending December, of course, to close to $360 million Sing dollars from a little over $230 million in the second half of 2021. And Semcorp attributed the improved profits to higher contributions from its renewables and conventional energy segments. And turnover in the second half of the financial year also grew 3% to $3.9 billion, Sing from $3.8 billion a year ago. Yang Zijiang Shipbuilding posted a second half net profit of 1.4 billion won, and this was down 30% from 2.1 billion won the previous year because of the discontinued operations that followed the well-publicized spin-off and listing of Yang Zijiang Financial Holdings back on the 28th of April last year. In the second half, 32 vessels were delivered as compared to 27 uh, vessels delivered back in the second half of 2021. So as a result, the group recorded a higher shipbuilding revenue of 9.85 billion won in the second half as compared to 8.4 billion won in the second half a year before that in 2021. Thanks, Jeff. In the week ahead, investors will be looking out for the US ISM Manufacturing Index and S&P US Manufacturing PMI on March 1st. Singapore's PMI figures will also be released on March 2nd. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure having you in the studio. This has been Market Focus from the Business Times. I'm Clarissa Montero with Jeff Howie, Market Strategist at SGX Securities, and Yong Jun Yuan, Journalist with the Business Times News Desk. That was a podcast from the Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, or via the Google Voice Assistant Amazon-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.